Hi everyone and welcome to Be True, my podcast about the writing I love and the writing I do. I promise I won't rhyme the whole time. That's middle period Bob Dylan. (laughs) I'm John Tessitore and today I'm told the rubble of war. From my chapbook for a minute there, it seemed like something was happening. You can find for a minute there and all my work at johntessatori.com. I'm told the rubble of war was a poem that hung around for a while, looking for a home. Its original title was Hearts and Minds, which is a pretty good title, especially if it had been a reference to an important documentary about the Vietnam War, produced in 1974, also called Hearts and Minds. In that case, it would have been a perfect title for a poem that is, in fact, about the Vietnam War. (laughs) Except that I didn't know anything about that film when I wrote the poem, and I'm embarrassed to say... I still haven't seen it. Instead, I chose the title as an ironic critique of the administration of George W. Bush, which justified the endless war in Afghanistan and Iraq using the exact same language that had been used 30 years earlier to justify the war in Vietnam. Apparently, we're always trying to win the hearts and minds of the people we bomb, and somehow we keep losing. In any case, the poem didn't feel like the kind of thing younger journal editors would love, or even understand, for reasons I'll discuss. So it hung around in my please don't recycle me folder, (laughs) until it found its place as part of the semi-autobiographical chapbook for a minute there. Before I read the poem, let me set the mood with a little music. But buckle up, this could get rough. Or something that I despise It means the destruction of innocent lives Warm used tears in a thousand mothers' eyes When the sons go off to fight And give their lives in the war What is it good for? War! Huh! Good God, y'all! <laughs> You probably know at least one version of this song. I'll get to it. But first, a little backstory. Written by Norman Whitfield and Barrett Strong of Motown Records, War was originally recorded by The Temptations, my father's favorite group. It's a track on their 1968 album, Psychedelic Shack. When that album came out, there was a lot of fan pressure to release War as a single, thereby giving it some radio play. But Motown worried about the potential backlash if its most popular group released an anti-Vietnam song, so they gave the song to Edwin Starr. Starr's version replaced the Temptations' smooth tone and totally awesome backing chants, Hup, two, three, four, with an equally awesome snarl. And that snarl made it a number one song in America in 1970. I have seen reports that it is the most successful protest song ever recorded, at least in terms of chart placement. I wonder about that. It's worth some more research. But it gives you a sense of how that song and that war was received in 1970. Okay, cut to 1984. Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA is a dominant force in the land. The song, the record, his ass on the album cover, on my bedroom wall, the red, white, and blue dominant, and Ronald Reagan is trying his best to use Springsteen's unique image as part of his own presidential re-election campaign. During a visit to New Jersey, Reagan actually quotes the chorus of the song Born in the USA, 
but no one in the Reagan campaign checked the lyrics. Or if they did, they didn't care about meaning. I actually believe the latter to be the case. But the song is actually a rather brutal indictment of America and its broken promises from the perspective of a Vietnam veteran who has returned to a country that doesn't welcome him back. The chorus, and even the anthemic music, is ironic, not patriotic. You want to know about the dumbing down of America? Maybe we need to look no further than Ronald Reagan. So Springsteen, who fears and reviles Reagan's policies, has to do something quick. He records a version of Edwin Starr's War, complete with the Good God, Yoles, and releases it as part of his live box set. The fuckers can't miss the message this time. Springsteen's version reached number eight in the charts 15 years after Starr's version was number one. And of course, it came with a memorable introduction, which I can still recite by heart. If you grew up in the 60s, you grew up with war on TV every night. And that's the real point of this story. If you grew up in the 70s and 80s, as I did, you still grew up with war on TV every night. And on the radio and in your homes, everywhere. Springsteen's version of War was a hit in 1985. When I was a kid, the Vietnam War was still everywhere. We talked about it the way we talked about cancer. I used to get chills just hearing the name of the country. I'm told the rubble of war makes the best playground. Missile casings. Broken bits of porcelain, solid bricks, the treasures of destruction giving new birth to freedom. I'm told that seeing the Beatles on Ed Sullivan was not the same as watching music television. But each boy can expect to have his very own technicolor revelation. I'm told the sons retained some sense of purpose despite the helicopters hovering over their heads, sending up cyclone bursts of sideways thought like shrapnel. I'm told they returned from places named in whispers, like cancer, still carrying a hothouse pressure inside, exhaling the poison vapor before the recoil in leukemia. I saw our fathers on the sidelines watching us play soccer, their legs scarred hieroglyphic, and the one who hung himself from a coat hook in the closet. His son found him lifeless one morning after breakfast. I heard all those stories when I was a kid. The suicides or the babies born with illnesses blamed on the effects of chemical warfare and Agent Orange. I have no idea if those weapons were the cause. I only know those were the stories I heard. And there were things I saw with my own eyes, hieroglyphic scars, physical and emotional injuries. My uncle was a social worker at a VA hospital on Long Island. He spent years running group therapy sessions for the returning veterans, guys with drug and alcohol problems, problems with violence, problems holding down a job or caring for a family, later, guys with AIDS. His stories were chilling, and I knew many, many adults who had been drafted, who couldn't find a way out, and who therefore saw some shit. They were the sons of the World War II veterans, and they were drafted just like their fathers. The English kids of that era, the future rock stars of the British invasion, grew up playing childhood games in the rubble of the Blitz on the streets of London. The American kids made new rubble. And everyone knew Vietnam was different. 
and you couldn't escape it. On TV, on the radio, in the news, especially in the movies. Born on the 4th of July, Platoon, Full Metal Jacket, First Blood, Take Your Pick, D'Onofrio or Stallone, or Tom Cruise, or Martin Sheen, or Forrest Gump. The Vietnam War was everywhere until it wasn't anymore. I don't know when that happened. Maybe it was after 9-11 and our response and the long years of war that followed, but I think it happened before that. One day, we just seemed to stop talking about Vietnam. Maybe we'd said all there was to say. It's surprising to me, or maybe it isn't. The baby boomers were haunted by Vietnam for decades. Then they came into power, and the conversation died down. For example, none of our boomer presidents who were old enough to fight in Vietnam were publicly involved in that conflict, except George W. Bush, who was a fighter pilot in the National Guard and stayed stateside. The rest had no involvement to speak of, not even as prominent activists, and all have been eager to avoid the subject in their political lives. Maybe that's wise. Look what happened to Al Gore and John Kerry, and even to John McCain. Of course, we're equally quiet today about the veterans returning from Afghanistan and Iraq, and about those who returned from the forgotten first Persian Gulf War, and that silence is even more disturbing because none of those soldiers have ever received the attention they deserve. They never had their heroic Iwo Jima moment or their angry Edwin Starr moment, let alone their explosive Chicago riot. For that, I blame the socioeconomics of who serves and who doesn't. For example, I didn't serve. And I blame the end of the draft in America. Again, I didn't serve. And I blame the speed with which the new media whips up a backlash of outrage, which is always easier than self-reflection or self-criticism. Just ask the Dixie Chicks what happens today when you utter a sentence or two in protest against a bad war. Maybe it's best to keep your mouth shut, keep your head in the sand, and let the missiles fly past you. But looking back on my childhood and remembering the very evident pain of the fathers on the sidelines watching us play soccer, some of them pretty messed up. I still wonder what happened to all that outrage and what the cost of the new quiet has been for us today. All of which is a long way of saying that I hope we can remember the costs of war in the year ahead. It looks like we're going to have to. I hope we remember the soldiers and civilians caught in the crossfire and choose them over whatever temporary policy has upended their lives. And I hope that we pressure our leaders relentlessly into making humane decisions and not just profitable or expedient decisions, especially the old boomers we're stuck with, the new masters of war the ones who did not fight in or against the Vietnam War in their youth and who now have all the power. Power should always be very, very expensive for the powerful and always most expensive in matters of war and peace. And so, in the hope that we can all have just a little peace in 2024, even if it's expensive for the fuckers in power, this is John Tessitore concluding another installment of Be True. If you've listened this long, thank you. You can find more about my work at johntessitori.com. But first, don't settle for my crappy musicianship. Go play Springsteen's War or Edwin Starr's War or The Temptations Original. In fact, turn off this podcast right now and listen to all three in sequence. They all say it better than I ever could. Special thanks to me for today's theme music, which I call E-Chord. Maybe we'll talk again later. 
And if you enjoyed this little podcast, leave some stars or a review and tell your friends. In the meantime, I got to feed the dog. All right, Luna, I'm coming.